All right, so this morning, thank you for being here. I have to say, this is like probably the hardest Sunday you will have getting here all year because you lost an hour of sleep and then it is like 10 degrees outside. So go ahead, take your hand and pat yourself on the back. You guys did it. Great job, great job. Um, So just really quick to recap, kind of why I have like such big bags under my eyes right now is because on Friday night, we had an event called D-Now. Now, if you didn't grow up in the South, you probably are like, what is a D-Now? Um, so D-Now is a weekend where really each, like your student ministry comes together for maybe multiple gatherings. So a lot of times it's like Friday night, Saturday, and then you close on Sunday here in DC. We have to do it differently. Um, but It's just a time to come dig into God's word and just really challenge our students to be disciples of Christ. Even though they are young, they are still able to go and make disciples. And so we got to do that this past Friday, which it was such, it was so much fun. Our leaders that are here tonight or this morning, I see Macy over there. She, you look a little tired. I'm going to be honest with you. I think we're all a little bit tired. I know I left here about, I think I walked out of here about 11.55 on Friday night. So we're all a little bit tired. But I just want to share with you what the Lord did. Like, first off, we went to a trampoline park and nobody got injured, which is a miracle. It, like, I was just expecting to go to the hospital that night, but nobody went to the hospital. But the real miracle is we saw seven different students either give their life to Christ or rededicate their life on Friday night, which was just so amazing to see. I think Zach shared with me that is the largest or the most responses we have had to the gospel in a single event in Waterfront's history. We've had six a bunch of times, but seven was the first time we've had that. Um, So just be praying for those students as we do follow up with them and just really like help them understand the decision that they made and how we can then go and invest in them so they can go and invest in others. That's what it's all about. So this morning, I want to start off by sharing a story. And it's a story that is very familiar if you grew up in Atlanta. If you grew up in Atlanta like I did, you came out of the womb with a baseball mitt and a bat. Like everybody in Atlanta played baseball at some point. We play year round. We have like church leagues. We have summer leagues. We have spring leagues. We have winter leagues. We have travel ball. We have all the baseball all of the time. And my dad loves baseball and he wanted me to play baseball. And I did not end up being an MLB player, obviously. But it was something that my dad really pushed me to do. So like, as soon as I could learn to walk, he was like, all right, it's time to hit. And I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. But like, we were always outside doing drills. So my dad would just like, you know, roll the ball to me and I'd pick it up with my glove and throw it back to him. Like before I could really walk super well, that's what I was doing. And then I had that big, anybody have that big red bat with like the wiffle ball? So like, that was my childhood. And then as I got older and older, like we did more and more drills, more and more drills. And then eventually it was time for me to sign up for coach pitch baseball. And it was at our church. Our church had like eight teams, which is crazy to think about, right? But it was like coach pitch church league. And all of a sudden, dad is like, all right, it's time to go. I can't remember. I think we were like the Summit Baptist Church, like sheep or something, like terrible jerseys, (laughs) terrible names, but it was baseball, so we did it. So my dad is like, it's time to go to practice. So I'm expecting in my head practice to be this like well-organized drills like my dad had been doing with me for years and years. But I get there, guys, these kids, and I say that as a kid at this time, these kids were like 
running around playing tag in the outfield. They were like picking flowers out of the grass and then they were rolling in the dirt. Like every, like they were just such a mess. Like they were taking their gloves and wearing it on their head. Like it was the craziest thing in the world. And I was just sitting there like, we're here to play baseball. We're not here to play tag. What are we doing? So I was the, the weird kid that was like, let's get in line. Let's do these drills. The problem was like, it took about, I don't want to exaggerate, 10 practices for like kids to realize why we were actually there. And by that time, it was time for games to get started. Well, there was a specific kid. I honestly can't remember his name. I'm going to call him Ryan. Ryan was that kid, really, really sweet kid, right? The kid that tries really, really hard. Like we all love a Ryan, right? The problem with Ryan is Ryan was just really, really bad at baseball. <laughs> Really, really bad at baseball, but his mom really wanted him to play baseball. And so he was there every practice. And Ryan just couldn't do anything. Like, I, it's, it's hard to say that about like a five-year-old, but like he was just bad. Well, Ryan had a unique approach when he came up to bat. His strategy was, I'm going to swing as hard as I can, which is very common at that age, right? But his second strategy is the one that got me. I'm going to close my eyes. So just imagine a kid with his eyes closed and just swinging as hard as he could. Like, of course, he was not going to make contact. Well, in coach pitch, you got like three pitches from the coach, and then they brought out what? The T. But Ryan's strategy did not change with a T. And so what did he do? He would always just hit the T and the ball would just like fall off. So Ryan was like an automatic out, right? Like that's not an exaggeration. Literally every time he got up to bat, it was an out. So that's Ryan. Well, one game, Ryan was in the batter's box. And if you say the Lord doesn't do miracles, you are wrong because Ryan actually hit the ball. And the best part was when Ryan hit the ball, he was the most excited. I mean, everybody in the dugout was so excited for Ryan because Ryan did something that no one thought was possible. And so everybody was like, you did it, you did it. The problem is Ryan didn't know what to do after he hit the ball. And so Ryan is just like, I did it. And guys, the ball maybe went like five feet. Like, it's not like it was a great hit, but he was just pumped. And so everyone in the stands, everyone in the dugout realizes Ryan is frozen. Like, he doesn't know what to do. He's just, like, dancing. And so everybody yells what? Run! Run! And so what did Ryan do? I said Ryan couldn't do anything. I lied. Ryan could run. Ryan could run. The problem is Ryan didn't know where to run. And so what did Ryan do? Man, he took off to third base. <laughs> took off to third base. He turned the corner, ran into the other kid. I mean, it was a train wreck. But I say all that. It's because that's kind of how a lot of our lives are. We run really hard, but if we're running in the wrong direction, does it really matter? It doesn't matter how well you run if you're running in the wrong direction. And in a city like ours, in a time in like the last two years, a lot of us, we're just trying to survive. We're running as hard as we can, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily running in the right direction. We're trying to do a lot of good stuff. We're trying to help people. We're just trying to, you know, keep our life straight. But to be honest, we're not always heading in the right direction. And what is the right direction? We want, as believers, we want to be obedient to Christ. We want to do what Christ has called us to do. We want to see God use us to do some powerful things. 
So what should we wanna see? We wanna see movements of God in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. That, is, that, is, that should be our heart's desire because we wanna see those around us in our communities. We wanna see our friends and our family members come to know Christ, but oftentimes we are just so distracted by trying to get everything else in order and we're just running and doing and going and going and going that we lose focus on what's really important. And we see, we see this throughout the Bible, people that get busy and they lose focus. We see throughout the Bible that God oftentimes uses uncommon people to do some really cool things. And we're gonna see that in today's message. Today, we're gonna be in John chapter two, if you wanna go ahead and flip your Bibles there. Today, we are gonna be looking at Jesus's first miracle, right? His first miracle, I would say most of you have probably heard this story before, but we're gonna look at it from a little bit different of a perspective. So hopefully you're gonna learn and be able to take away something new today. But this setting of today's story is a wedding. How many of you have been to a wedding before? Let me see your hands. Just about everybody in this room. Raise your hand if you have planned a wedding. Okay, a good amount of you. Last service, there were two people that answered this next question. How many of you enjoyed planning a wedding? Wow, okay, there's more hands this service. You guys are the planners, I guess. Planning a wedding seems very stressful. I would be lying if I said that I planned our wedding at all. Like I did nothing for Katie Beth and I's wedding. I just showed up and it worked out. So great job, Katie Beth. Great job, wedding planners. Like they crushed it. But I have been a part, I think I've been a groomsman like 11 times in my life, which is a whole lot. But because of that, I have experienced a lot of weddings and I've experienced a lot of really, really good weddings, but also really, really bad weddings. Like the problem with weddings is there's a lot of pressure on that day. Like for some people, they're like, hey, we just want to get it done. Like it's not like we're not going to have this big, great, you know, party. But some people like they go all out. Right. And because of that, they build up a lot of pressure on that day because they spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of money, they have family, they have friends from all over the country, and they want it to be a very specific like event. And it has to go just like how they dreamt it in their heads. But the problem is, when you put that much pressure on something, it's probably not gonna work out the way it's supposed to. That's why we have like the term, what is it, bridezilla, right? Like that's a real thing, that is definitely a real thing. So the story that, come to, that always comes to my mind when it comes to wedding, and I just want to say this up front in case he sees this online, it's the most beautiful wedding that I have been a part of besides my own because, you know, it's my wedding. But the second most beautiful wedding I've been a part of was Dominique's and Alvante's wedding. They got married, I guess, just north of Baltimore, and at their wedding, it was the most beautiful setting. They went all out on just about everything. They had a wedding planner that had the best reviews online, right? But she was garbage. Like she was the worst wedding planner ever. I think she just like took their money and just like ran with it. The problem was the wedding day, we got there in the morning and like none of the flower arrangements were ready. There were boxes of flower, but the arrangements weren't ready. The tables weren't set. Like the chairs weren't set out for the ceremony. And so all that morning, like the groomsmen are out there like making flower arrangements, which guess what? I guess I can add that to my like resume now. So we're doing that. We're setting the tables. We're lighting all the candles. We're doing all this. We're running around. And so we're like, okay, that's done. Like now it's just gonna be fun. 
Like, it's just going to be so much fun. And like, Dom's family spent so much time and so much money to make this event super special for this couple. And they invited their friends, and it was going to be such a moment just to highlight this great, amazing couple. And then the ceremony begins. We're down there. I'm standing next to Alvin. Alvin's very short, so I would always have to, like, lean over to talk to him. But all of a sudden, the bridesmaids come down. They line up. And then they start playing because they had, like, a great band that started playing. And Dom was nowhere to be seen. And, at, you know, after the first few seconds, you're like, this is a little weird. Because, like, everybody's standing up, turning to look for the bride. No one's coming. No one's coming. So I lean over to Alvin. I'm like, dude, did she run? And he, like, he gets so mad at me. Like, he, you know, elbows me. I'm like, dude, where is she? And the wedding planner had forgot to tell her that it was time. And she was all the way up in the house. And so the band plays through the entire song, even played through the extended edition. And then all of a sudden, like, it stops. And then you just see the pastor, and he's like, well, we'll see what happens. And then so, like, at that point, I'm, like, over here. I'm like, let's play it again, play it again, play it again. And so they start playing again. And then, like, way up on the hill, you see the house, and you just see this white dress just, like, running, running down this trail. And she is just taking off. I'm like, oh, here comes Dom. At least she didn't run. At least she's running here, right? But I just remember the faces of her parents, like, that had spent so much time and money on this wedding. They wanted it to be just right. And they were like, first off, did our daughter run? Second off, I'm so embarrassed. We spent so much time to make this just the perfect. And like my heart kind of just like hurt for them. Because their friends, I think her, I think her parents are doctors, like all their doctor friends were there. You could tell they were slightly embarrassed. And that's just like a small glimpse of what is taking place in our story today. Like that shame when the wedding doesn't go right. And in this culture, in Jesus' time, these were parties that didn't last just like one day. It could last three days and even up to seven days. And one thing in party planning that you don't want to run out of is food and drink. And in today's passage, that is exactly what took place. So let's jump into verse one. It says this, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana and Galilee. Jesus Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So we have the issue right off the bat. They run out of wine. Don't throw a party and run out of food and drink, and that's exactly what happened. So this family immediately would have felt the pressure because it would have been known about throughout their community. This family would have been judged based off of this one event. They have an issue. I read one commentary, and like the translation sometimes gets us a little bit different, and it clearly states that Mary was supposed to be there and Jesus was invited, but like some scholars say like, wait, did the disciples like crash this party? Like they were wedding crashers potentially, which would also make sense if there's like a food and drink shortage, that means maybe more people came than there were supposed to be there. But the point is, 
this family, especially the groom's family, would have felt great embarrassment and shame for running out of wine. But thankfully, the story continues. Verse 4, a famous verse because people think Jesus was rude here, but he wasn't. We'll explain. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So here, Jesus is not being rude. It's another phrase that is complicated to translate into English. But here we have Jesus, and he is separating himself from his mother as a mother-to-son relationship. Here he is stating, this is like the beginning of my ministry. I am no longer just your son. I am the Messiah. I am the one that God has sent. I am God in human flesh. So Jesus is saying, hey, mom, I love you but also recognize, recognize who I am. Recognize that I am the Savior. But I also love, and we're not gonna spend a lot of time on Jesus and Mary in this passage, but notice Mary's response. Did she say, why'd you talk to me like that? No. Mary's heart here is she recognizes there's an issue and she believes in Jesus that he can fix it. That's who she runs to when life gets a little bit crazy. She runs to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I know that you can fix this. And then when he pushes back a little bit, what does she do? She doesn't fight him. She still believes. She still trusts him. And that's why she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Man, I hope that's my response when life gets a little bit crazy. So our million dollar question for today is this, how can we see a movement of God in our lives? How can we make sure we're running in the right direction, that God is using us kingdom work? So we're not looking at Jesus or Mary, so that means we're looking at the servants. So how can we see a movement of God in our lives? The first thing I want to point out is realize God wants to use you. God wants to use you. It's so easy It's so easy to miss who actually gets to carry out the miracle in this story because Jesus ultimately did it. But who did he use? He used the no-name servants in this passage. We don't get to know their names. We never will know till hopefully they're in heaven. But that is who Jesus used in his very first miracle. Guys that were probably paid very little to be here, to serve at the wedding. And Jesus says, you know what? I can use you. You know what? You may not have the title. You may not have the reputation, but you know what? I'm gonna use you to do something really cool. Maybe you grew up in a town where you were the smartest. You got the best degree. You were the one that got out of where you're from and you felt pretty good about yourself. And then you got here to D.C., And maybe you realize you weren't the smartest. Maybe you weren't the best. Maybe you're kind of selling yourself short now. Or maybe you're on the other side. And maybe you just feel so beaten up by past mistakes, by things that you've done in your past that you're like, God, how could you actually use me? But here's the point. Throughout history, God used the most unlikely ordinary people to accomplish his plan, just like he used these servants. 
Does it say they had any special giftings? No, but that's who we use. Some examples of ordinary, unlikely people that God used. Moses makes this list a whole lot. Sorry, Moses. So we have murderers, Moses. Those who couldn't speak, Moses. Drunks, Noah. Liars, Jacob. A donkey, Balaam's donkey, right? Hopefully nobody identifies as a donkey. Widows, teenagers, we, young David, right? The sick. The list could go on and on and on. But the point is this. Maybe in your mind you have sold yourself short because of your past or your, how you feel like you're not gifted enough. God can and will use you. Oftentimes he doesn't use those with the title or the position to do these grand, amazing things because who would get the credit? That person. But when you are humble, get to point people to Jesus and say, look what he used me to do. Look what he used me to do. So the question for you is, do you view yourself as usable by God? Do you view yourself as usable by God? Or have you just said, you know what? I'm too far gone, I'm too broke, I'm too poor, I'm too insignificant, or maybe it's I'm just too busy. You think you're just too busy for God to use you. Let's continue our reading. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot of wine, people, a lot of wine. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So how can we see a movement of God in our lives? First, we realize that God wants to use you. Second, listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, out of all the points today, this is the one that I think is hardest for us. And I'll tell you why. In the last two years, we have spent a lot of time at home probably, a lot of time isolated, which in reality should make it easier for us to hear from the Lord, right? Because we have so much more time. But I have filled that time, not necessarily trying to hear from the Lord, but I've been trying to fill it and learn from other people and other voices. And I'll be honest, there's been a few people that like maybe I followed because I'm like, ooh, they have some insightful stuff. And I'll be honest, I've allowed some voices into my life that are not good. And so in the last few months, I've been kind of like going through, right, scrolling through, and I'm like, why do I follow this person? Like, they're not speaking life and truth into me, so like maybe it's time to unfollow them. And so maybe it's that. Maybe the only thing we're taking in is like the shows that we're watching. Maybe it's just the news. We're just on that news cycle all the time. And that's the only thing we really hear are we actually listening to Jesus? Are we actually hearing from Jesus? You see, you get to choose who influences you. You get to choose that. Are you choosing Jesus? Are you making time throughout your day really to hear from him? And you're like, look, TJ, it, it's hard for me. Because I, when I pray, I don't hear that audible voice, Right? I don't hear that, TJ, it's time to do that. Like, I, I, guess what? I don't hear that either. 
But one thing that we've been trying to teach our students to do is when it comes to prayer, like, it may be easy for us to come and to just have that list of, like, God, help in this area. God, be with this person, yada, yada, yada. Like, that list that we come to him, right? But are we just spending time just in silence? Are we, are we just sitting there and saying, God, right now, just speak to me? Are we allowing the Spirit to speak to us? So that's one way we can listen to God. Second way, obviously through God's word. Is getting in God's word, is that something that you're doing on a consistent basis? There's so many people in this room that this year, I know that they have taken that very seriously and they developed like little accountability groups to read through God's word this year together, which that's something that I'm doing this year too. And it's been so helpful because some days it's hard. You do get busy and you're like, I don't have time to get in it. But when you know your your buddy's gonna be like, hey, how are you? What'd you learn in your reading today? You're like, oh man. And it, it may sound legalistic, but like being in God's word is a good thing. Like that's the most obvious thing I could say up here, but it's the more time we spend in God's word, man, speaking life into us. Then the last thing, do you have godly counsel around you? Wise people that are pointing you to Jesus and towards truth that can help you go in the right direction to make sure you're not just running off in a random direction. Because I think if we're being honest, there's some of you in this room, maybe some of you watching online, the only time you really give God time to speak to you is on Sunday mornings. And that's good. We're so glad you're here. We want to see you every Sunday. We want to see you online every Sunday. But at the end of the day, that's, that's not enough. It's not enough. A relationship should be a regular and a consistent thing. Are you taking time to listen to him? So my question for you is, are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Are you listening to him? Or are all the other voices just taking over? Let's finish our passage today. Verse nine, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So how can we see a movement of God? Realize God wants to use you. Second, listen to the voice of Jesus. And then last but not least, recognize there is work to do. There is work to do. So we have the miracle, right? We have Jesus that not only turned water into wine, but it was the best and the most sweet wine. It was the best wine because that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't go halfway. Jesus blows our expectations out of the water. That is who he is. That is what he does. But let's think about the servants. It's really easy to be like, of course, Jesus told them to do it. Like, you're going to do it. They probably had no idea who Jesus was. And if they did, they definitely did not view him as this Messiah. But they listened to him and they acted on it. And let's remember when I said, man, that's a lot of wine. How do you think they got all that water? Did they get a hose out and fill up? No, they probably had to go to a water source. Who who knows where it was? It was a well. 
it was a, probably a lot of hard work. It wasn't a lot of fun. If you've had to transport water before, it's not fun. But they probably had to do multiple trips going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It wasn't necessarily fun. Probably shouldn't say it, but this is what I tell my students. It wasn't sexy work, right? It's not something that really you're going to get a lot of praise for doing. But they did it. And look what God did through it. Did you catch the last part of verse 11? His disciples believed in him. At this point, Jesus had called a few disciples. And through this miracle, they got to see that Jesus, through these servants, did an amazing work. Those servants may have never realized how just filling up pots of water, what a big impact it made, but God did something truly amazing in that moment, not just with the water and wine, but he truly helped the disciples see Jesus for who he was. The problem for us is a lot of us who are saying, God, here I am, use me, right? Which should be the cry of our heart. But then when God calls us to do something that isn't sexy, that isn't a lot of fun, we're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll wait till there's something bigger and better. Is that our heart? Is, should that be the response for us? No, because we shouldn't limit small acts and what God can do with small acts. God can use the small and mundane things to change people's lives. And we see that all the time here, especially if you serve in any of our ministries here at the church. There's times where you do something where you're like, this doesn't matter. This isn't going to impact anybody's lives, but you'll never know how small acts can lead to life change. And you have to keep that perspective. So recognize that there's work to do, and it's not always like, big and beautiful things. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's tough work. But it reminds me of the passage here in Luke uh, 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Are you being faithful in just the small areas that God is calling you? Are you putting in the work in the not fun things? Or are you just waiting for that big moment? Because as believers, when we want to see God really work and move around us, a lot of times it's just small steps of obedience. God, here I am. Use me. Here I am. Use me. I think we see that in looking at you guys and the community group you started. It started off a crazy, what is it, Wednesday morning? Wednesday morning, little community group that just blossomed into this great community that was fostered. It's not easy. That is not the ideal time to start a group, right? But it was a need that was so greatly needed. And look at what God has done with that. You got a plug for your group too. Wednesday morning right in here. <laughs> but here's, here's my final question for you. Are you prepared to humbly serve the Lord? Are you ready? Are you ready to humbly serve the Lord? not just in the big things, but also in the little things.